Well, shake hands with a couple of guys or give them a couple of manly high fives. That's what real men do after real men worship Jesus. Amen. We're so glad to have you tonight. What a blessing. So good to see you. Praise God. David, it's good to see you, man. Hallelujah. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Call to the Wall. You've been called to the wall. And I, I don't know. You're the man. Thank you, man. It's awesome, isn't it? How many times do you see an all-male worship team right there? Rocking it. It's not that I'm sexist or nothing, but I love men. I do. I love men, and that's why you're here tonight, because we're just believing God to do something really special. We feel like this is a special time for men to press in, not... not <laughs> Not that men haven't pressed in, but I just feel like we're heading into a season where God is really going to do something for men. I really do. And I don't believe this is just the beginning of, or like the end all as far as the meeting. I believe it's the beginning of something God is going to do in this region uh, for this year. And we're just going to follow the Lord in that have a great a, a great group of men who are going to speak throughout this this conference and tonight you're going to hear from two great men of God that uh, I'm excited about that are here with us tonight and in the morning uh, Pastor Sam Abbott's going to be bringing the word and Pastor Sam's in Indianapolis tonight he had a a presbytery meeting and and he's down there for that, going to drive back tonight so he can be with us in the morning. We're going to see uh, God do some very special things. We've got Pastor Ed Townsend going to bring a, a timely word that we I'm excited about. And then Bishop Johnson from Living Stones is going to be here tomorrow afternoon. And if you know anything about uh, Bishop Johnson, you know this man has... I think he's like, to me, he's an apostle of this region, and I believe he's going to release something very powerful in this time tomorrow, and that's what this whole thing's about. We, I hope you didn't come just to hear a message, but you came to receive an impartation from God, because where we're headed, God is going to do something so powerful that we are going to we're going to have to carry everything that God has given to us. And I have been around a long time. I've been in ministry a long time. I have been uh pastoring a long time. I have been serving Jesus for a long time, but I have never seen a time like this where God is lining up his people heaven Heaven's angels and the anointing of the Holy Spirit is just flowing. Get ready. As T.D. Jake says, get ready, get ready, get ready. 
I mean, I think something is is unfolding that is going to be marvelous before our eyes. So I'm not going to belabor this tonight. I'm going to introduce to you Pastor Kyle Felke from Bethel and Valparaiso, young man that I just love very dearly and has been connected and and because of uh, Revive and what God has done in this region, he's connected a lot of us together that we would have never been connected through. And out of those relationships, God is God is doing something very special. And this is, is a very special young man with a word tonight that's going to uh, that's going to profoundly change your life. I believe that. So I want you to give it up for Pastor Kyle Felty right here. Good evening. Hey, how's everyone doing? And it's good to, to be here, you know. Um, the ability for, for me to to, to walk alongside of, of Pastor Mike is, has just been incredible for me. I'm, I'm a young, um, young pastor, and uh, being able to, to be around the pastors that I have for the last couple of years, um, it's, it's really been a, a godsend. And, um, you know, there's, there's something that's been happening, and I, I know that, that I'm not the only one, because as I talk to other people, uh, pastors and, and, and people who are not in full-time ministry, God's doing something right now. Uh, and, you know, those, those who have ears to hear are hearing it. And uh, there's this sensitivity that um, I, I don't know why. I don't understand how. Um, I don't even know if it's because of, but it's, it seemed like what happened in 2016, something completely changed almost the moment that 2017 came in. I don't know if you could sense it, you know, if you're, if you're aware of what the Holy Spirit was doing, uh, but it seemed like there was just this, this press and this excitement, anticipation, um, as we were coming into 2017. And I, and I told my congregation the, the morning of uh, January 1st, I said, I don't know if God works on, on calendar years, you know, the turn of calendar years or not. Uh, but it sure does feel like something's changed. Anybody else feel that? So I, I feel like what God is actually doing is he's starting to set the, the stage for the next 10 to 20 years for us to see something incredible take place on the earth that that even those who have walked before, you remember when uh, when when uh, in the New Testament, it says, uh, I think it's in, in Hebrews, it says that the, uh, the, the prophets of old uh, were, were anxiously longing to see what you and I know of through Jesus. I believe that the early church is anxiously longing to see what you and I are about to walk in. And there have been, um, there have been some rough times, but I think that what we've done is we've so highlighted negativity we've so highlighted um this this oppression that we found ourselves missing god and uh 
And so this, uh, tonight, what I want to talk about is actually uh, this, this call to our divine identity. This, this call to our divine identity to actually be men who start to see truth and, and are not wavered by anything other than uh, the truth. You know, uh, I, I go to, I, I pastor a church. Um, we, have, we have a Sunday morning uh, ministry every morning. Um, and I've been listening to a gentleman who has really rocked my perspective. How many know what sets people free? How many know what it is that sets people free? Is it ministry? Truth. Truth sets people free. And what's unique and interesting is that, you know, even Satan, as he came to Jesus, he tempted him with what? With Scripture. But it was not truth. Okay. He tempted him with scripture, but it wasn't truth. Because truth out of alignment, or scripture out of alignment, it doesn't bring truth. Truth brings love, and love brings life. Does this make sense? So here's what we've seen happen. Is that we've been hearing scripture, and we believing that it's got to be God... But what's been happening is we've been aligning ourselves with that which brings death. We can validate the, the experiencing, the expression that we're actually experiencing around the world and around the body of Christ. And we can attribute it to something that, that actually is death rather than bringing life. And this whole idea of, well, it's got to be scripture. It's got to be scripture. It's got to be scripture. Yeah, scripture brought out of alignment actually can bring death, right? The letter of the law, what? The letter of the law kills, but the spirit brings. So we can look and, and perceive things based out of scripture that can actually bring death. You know, your perception can keep you from truth. What you believe to be true based on your own experience can actually keep you from truth, can keep you from life. And God's really been doing something in me. I believe that he's doing something in the body of Christ where he's actually changing. He's, there's this sovereignty of him just taking the veil off of the body of Christ, taking the veil off the eyes of the body of Christ, and we're beginning to see truth. We're beginning to see Scripture like we've never seen it before. And it's not bringing death, it's actually bringing life. And what it's doing is actually shaking all of our foundations. And that's a really good thing. Here's what we have to be careful of, is if we're trying to hold on to what we always hoped for and believed, we'll find ourselves falling in line with something that's not going to bring life to the world. You know, we've, we've continually wanted to go back to the early church. Man, if we just lived in the early church, how great that was. And then it just like took a nosedive, right? But Paul says there's something really interesting in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, we've been set free by the Spirit of the Lord and we're moving from what? Glory to what? To death? Glory to glory. 
And yet, what are we seeing? What are we talking about? Are we, are we believing that God is actually doing something that's bringing glory and elevating us to a new level of glory and to a new level of glory? See, there's this difference between expectation and expectancy. And what we've done is we've actually had all this expectation. And what happened is, is our, our lack of seeing this expectation take place has allowed us to fall into offense. And we've not seen who we really are because Satan has continued to place this expectation out in front of us of it should look like this. And if it doesn't happen then who's to blame? God. He starts to tempt us that if it doesn't take place, it's got to be God. And man, he, he started that in the beginning. I want you, if you have your Bible, open up with me to uh, Genesis. Genesis 1. Our divine identity. I believe that the foundation... For us, after you you realize your your need for for salvation is is a really strong identity, because only out of that place, only out of you understanding your your true identity, are you capable of being men who are capable of seeing a change and transition take place on the earth, that heaven can actually rest on the earth. But if you and I don't see right don't see from God's perspective, we're going to be so messed up in our belief system that we actually won't have faith to see something take place on the earth. So I know that what, what Mike is setting up is, is this, this, this pathway for, for acceleration for men in the Christ to start to see truth being restored to the earth that brings life. Not just great words, but truth being restored to the earth that brings life over this region. And I, I believe that actually the foundation has to be, do you know who you are? Do you know who you really are? So in Genesis 1, I don't want to read the whole chapter, but I do think that um, you, have to, you have to understand this one principle. In Genesis 1.1, it said, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. God said, let there be light. Okay, so picture with me. God has, God has uh, had this relationship in heaven with himself, the Trinity, right? Everybody, everybody good on that, right? He also had the angelic hosts who were worshiping him. And there was, there was one angel we all know of that uh, decided that he wanted to, he wanted to take, the, take the lead and, and be the man in charge, right? He wanted, he wanted to be the one that everyone looked at. He, he became selfish. His own selfish desire was that every, everyone in heaven would start to look to him. And so what happens is that he falls along with a third of the angels, right? He's cast down to the earth. Now, is Satan light or darkness? Darkness. Here's what I believe happened. 
is that he's cast down to the earth. And it says in verse 2, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Are you catching this? So the dominion of darkness was over the face of the deep. But what was hovering over it? The Spirit of the Lord. And it came from out of that place that God said, let there be light. The sun wasn't created until day four, right? But his light began began to shine. And it's so, like, it dispels darkness Satan, Satan was over the, was, was over the earth, but over him was the spirit of God and it was hovering and God actually had this desire and design. And we're going to learn about this in, in Acts or in, uh, first in, in chapter one, verse 26, where it says he, he creates the whole earth and he creates everything in the earth. And then he gets to day six and here's what happens. It says, And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created him in his own image. In his image, God created him. Male and female, he created them. So... Here's the question. Is what is the image of man created in? God's likeness. All of scripture begins to tell us the very nature of God. And yet God said, I don't want for us, the Trinity, to do this alone. Here's what we'll do. We've got this issue here on the earth of those who wanted to be selfish and take their own dominion. So what we'll do is out of our, out of our joy, out of our fullness, let's create man and have him just as we, we rule and reign. Let's have mankind begin to rule and reign over that, that same thing. In, in uh, Psalm 8, Everybody know this psalm? David starts to have all these questions like, wow, who is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you, that you consider him. He says, you created man a little lower than... Do you know what this word is in Hebrew? The word is Elohim. But yet your translations often have a little lower than the angels. Here's what's crazy is that Elohim is the same word that's used in Genesis 1.26. And Elohim said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Okay, here's what I'm saying is that we've thought ourselves because of our fallen nature at the moment that we said yes to sin, because we, we actually bought into this idea where Satan said, you're, you're, not, you're not fully like him. Like, he actually held off in what he created you to look like. Yeah, it says that you were made in his image, 
but he didn't give you all the picture of who you really are or, or who he really is. Like he held back. If you eat from this tree, you'll be like God. But David, he recognizes who is the son of man that you would be so mindful of him that you would create him a little lower than God. And then it says after that, that you would crown him and clothe him with glory and majesty. See, here's what happened is that God created Adam in his image and then he wrapped himself around Adam. His glory, his presence was wrapped around and clothed around Adam to the point where he couldn't even tell that he was naked. Because the glory had so covered him that he was full of the glory of God. And you know what the full of the glory of God actually did? Is it caused all of creation to recognize that is not like us. And they began to look to mankind. How do you think that Adam was able to call all of the animals and name each one of them? It's because he had dominion over them. They actually recognized who was in responsibility. God fully wrapped himself around Adam and Adam took on the responsibility of taking dominion over the earth, over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air over every creeping thing that creeped on the earth. And he was covered with God's glory. That word glory actually says uh, uh, an awe-inspiring image. Honor. Heaviness, a weight. So God's glory wrapped around Adam. And all of creation is looking at Adam and going, Whoa. Why? Because it's the picture of God represented on the earth. Sound like anybody else you know? Okay. So, Satan sees this, and what, is, what, was his, what was his fall? What did he want? He wanted everybody to look at him. Are you guys catching this? So, Satan wanted the very thing that God did by him creating mankind. Mankind began to carry the image of God... He wasn't God. He carried the image of God and all of creation looked to him because God clothed himself. God clothed man with himself. And Satan is seeing this and it's just driving him crazy because I wanted that glory. I wanted that glory. And so what does he do if he can if he can tempt him by saying, maybe you maybe don't have enough. Do you know what happened? At the moment that Adam, not Eve, but the moment that Adam partook of the, the fruit, boom, all of a sudden glory's gone. And a transition takes place. And the very image that he was created in all of a sudden was lost. All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory. The very thing that helped express 
the nature by which we are created through and for was lost. And it says in, in Romans 8, it says that all of creation was subject to futility. And they're waiting, they're longing for the Spirit of God. Do you know what also the glory could be called? The Spirit of God. The anointing, the presence of God. All of creation is longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. This isn't just about getting saved. Do you realize that if we're, if we limit ourselves to just getting saved and man, if we could just get out of this earth, we'll, we'll completely lose the reason why we're here on the earth. So it says in Genesis, it says, here's your responsibility, Adam. He says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth to subdue it and take dominion over it. That was the original purpose. And then in Genesis 2, we actually see this, this transition of how, how Adam, he starts to name the animals, and then he gets to this point where he's named all the animals, and God makes a statement. He says what? It's not, it's not good. Something's, some, something's not right here. It's not good for man to be alone. Okay, so here's what we've done, is we found ourselves thinking that we're not completely full. Regardless of whether we're saved or not, we've found ourselves feeling like and thinking that we're not completely filled. That we're lacking. It sounds exactly like the same temptation that Satan brought to Adam and Eve. There's something lacking. You're still lacking something. If God made us in His image, in His likeness, to reflect Him on the earth. When He created us, did He make us in lack? Not the fallen nature, Adam, original Adam. Did He make us with any lack in us? No, not at all. So you get to the point where He's named all the animals and nothing would would suffice for what would cause him to be things to be good. But is it because he's in lack? But that's what we've been taught. (laughs) How many need a woman in their life? (laughs) Now you don't know what to say. Now you don't know what to say because we've bought into some crazy lies. Yeah, but the word says it's not good for a man to be alone. So he put, he put Adam to sleep and he took the rib and, and, and made woman. And, and Adam woke up and it's, whoa, man, now I'm full. Isn't that what we've heard? Isn't that what... Now, I know this not happened in this church, but isn't that what we've heard take place? <laughs> okay, if, if God created us in his image, 1 John 4, 8 says what? God is love. 
God is love. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. We'll come back to, to the woman. But if we don't understand the nature of God, all this will all be messed up and we'll really have a hard time understanding our true identity. 1 Corinthians 13. You know this, this whole passage is read at, at weddings all the time. And how many of you have actually sat down and taken a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and studied it? Or has it just been like glazed over? It's just words on a page. We attribute it to maybe, maybe to who God is, but we actually have missed who God really is. 1 Corinthians 13 if I speak in tongues of men or angels, I do not have love. If I am, I'm only a resounding gong, if I cl- a clinging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and I fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith and I can move mountains, but I have, I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and give over my body in hardship to that, that I may boast, but not, but do not have love, I gain nothing. This, this part right here gives the definition of love and we've not understood. This is actually the nature of God. Walk, walk with me through this. Love is patient. How many of you have kids? How many of you were kids? Huh. Isn't it interesting how when we hear patience, there's a time frame on patience in our mind? I've got to stay patient. Ah! Is there any patience in that? Man, I really worked on my patience today. See, we don't even understand patience. But if you, if you begin to see the nature of God, how patient He is, He is just completely secure. Not only in who He is, but who you are. All of a sudden, that just starts breaking down all these barriers in your life. You realize that God is not in a rush for you to get it right. It takes off the heavy yoke. But here's the thing is that the heavy yoke actually causes your mind to zero in and and be only solely focused on getting it right all the time. And what happens is, is that you screw up. There's something that takes place when... When fear enters the equation because you, you feel like I need to get this right because they're going to run out of patience. Anybody feel like that at work ever? I, I, like you're new to the job and you're going, man, if I don't get this right, they're going to fire me. You know? What happens is you start making a lot of mistakes because there wasn't the ability for you to actually think different Think clear and go, okay, I just, I just need to learn this. 
I need to be growing up in this. Anybody have a career change in their life where they're just like doing one thing and all of a sudden they start doing something completely different that they have no clue anything about and there's a learning curve to it? Do you realize that we have been translated out of one kingdom into another? Love is patient. And not only that, love is kind. Do you know that it says in Romans 2, 4, it says, Do not know that it is the kindness of God that leads men to repentance? It is his kindness. It's not his anger. It's not the very thing that God has has been attributed to throughout all of the earth that you got to get this right or he's going to strike you with a lightning bolt. His kindness actually leads you to repentance. Listen to this. Okay. So it doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. It's not proud. Think of all these words. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. Listen to this one. It's not self-seeking. No, no, no. If this is God, he's got, his, he's got his own agenda, right? I mean, that's the way we think, right? He's not self-seeking. He's not selfish. It's not always my way. It has to be my way. But that's, I don't know who this pastor is, but he's speaking heresy right now. Like, it's got to be God's way, right? Love is patient. Love is completely patient. And love is kind. He's so secure in who he is that it doesn't mess with him when you make a mistake. He doesn't change because of your mistake. He doesn't insist on his way or you're out. (laughs) It's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. As a father, how many of us have found ourselves easily angered because things don't go our way? And then we attribute that to God the Father? So easy to do, isn't it? It's the ploy of the enemy. It can't be that good. Not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Wait a minute. If I really believe that, then I'm completely free of my past. How many of you would say that in your life, you've dealt with regret? I'll come back to this passage, but check this out. Paul makes a statement, now I rejoice that I've made you in sorrow. He's talking to the Corinthians. He's, he's written to them a, another time. In 2 Corinthians 7, he says, I rejoice that I, that, I, that I made sorrow, but that you have made, been made sorrowful to the point of repentance, for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Listen to this, verse 10. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without Regret. 
And yet we, we in the church have bought into this lie that we actually have to live with regret. But if our repentance is true and we understand what we've repented away from and towards, we've repented towards the Father that in 1 Corinthians 13, He is not keeping an account of, of all the things we've done wrong. So there's no need to have regret in our lives. In fact, this is, this is what it says. It says, uh, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow, has produced in you. Godly sorrow. Not the one that has regret attached to it, the one that has life attached to it. Godly sorrow produced in you vindication for your, of yourselves. What indignation. Not anger towards anything other than, this is not okay that I've been lied to. That, I've, that my nature has, that the nature of who I'm supposed to be has been has been stolen from me. What fear? Not fear of like something's going to go wrong, that God's going to strike me dead if I do it again, but the fear of the Lord that caused you to go, whoa, how holy. What longing. This longing that goes, oh God, I love you, I need you. Wow. What zeal. Like, people need to know this. It creates this this anticipation and this zeal in you. What longing, what avenge of wrong. In everything, you demonstrate yourselves to be innocent in the matter. If you have found yourself living in a, in a worldly sorrow, you're living with regret, and I'm promising you this right now, you are not going to be able to hear that your, your identity is, is married to the divine nature of God. You'll buy into every sermon that says that we are still sinners, saved by grace. So here's what happens. Man falls, and all of a sudden, we find ourselves dealing with these issues and interpreting Scripture completely out of our selfishness. So we look at, we look at love and we go, man, I, I, I don't get this because he can't, he can't really be that good. He cannot... Not keep a record of my wrongs. I know I do. God surely has to be just like me, right? I mean, we're made in his image, right? Scripture. But is it aligned with truth? It's just brought death to you and I. And we projected that on every other person. Rather than calling them into their true destiny. Okay. It says... Keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Like he, if the truth is what sets us free, he is longing for you and I to get truth because he knows that if you and I can get truth, we will be restored back to the image that we were created for. You all still following me? It says it always protects. It is always about protecting. There's at no point in time where you're like, I need to protect myself. Why? Because love isn't self-seeking. I don't think that, I don't think anybody's going to protect me, so I need to protect myself. No, I'm actually called to protect you. 
The divine nature of God is called to protect us, not for his good pleasure, but for our good pleasure. Remember, Jesus says, Father, keep those who are in the world protected. Jesus is praying on our behalf that we would be protected. Love protects. How about this one? Love always trusts. Oh no, I can forgive. (laughs) We've given ourselves permission. We've given ourselves permission to only, only say, God, you must be like this, but I don't have to. Always trust. Surely you just can't give out trust freely. Why? Why? Because someone will hurt you. Your life isn't your own anyway. I mean, Jesus said that, right? Pick up your cross and follow me. You got to die to yourself. You got to give yourself over. This isn't about just saying yes to Jesus coming to church and then going out into the world and being able to work and not, not representing the very nature of Jesus. When you have to trust, when you have to cause people to build trust with you, you can forgive them, but they require you to build trust with you again. You're actually saying, I don't know who I am. And I can be hurt. And so I need to trust you again. Love always hopes. It says, I believe the best is supposed to come out of you. I don't care what you look like right now. I don't care how you're acting. I'm willing to get in here and believe and hope for the best out of you. It always perseveres. It doesn't give up. It continues on. It's, again, patient. It continues on. This is the nature of, that God created Adam out of himself. So that could have said, Adam is patient. Adam is kind. And then all of a sudden, at the moment that we lost the glory, we did the exact opposite, right? Right? (laughs) We weren't patient any longer. We became unkind. We became all about ourselves. We worried about making sure that our needs were met. We became envious and boastful. We actually took on the nature of the one that deceived us. Do you realize that? Satan gave us his nature. He actually stole the very nature of who we were created with, the glory. And he said, here, just have all of me. And now go and look like me on the earth. And we became sons of the devil. We call ourselves sinners. That was our nature. And so now we're preaching and we're, we're making all these messages, communicating in a way that says like, you know what? Jesus can save us, but we've still got this issue inside of us. Until we actually understand that restoration isn't us restored back to the original nature, but something even better than what we originally created, 
were completely messed up. We have to begin to understand that the purpose for Jesus walking on the earth was to display what it should have looked like for Adam to walk the face of the planet without any sin nature. Yeah, but but Adam didn't, and Jesus was God, right? Man, if, if, that's, if that's the case, then what hope do we have? Why are we, ha- why are we encouraging people to get saved just so that they can go to heaven? Then you might as well die the moment you pray the prayer. Honestly, we totally miss sight that God didn't just cause us to get to heaven. He actually wanted to restore back our purpose and our mandate when he said, now go and be fruitful, Adam, and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and take dominion over it. Man, I can't even comprehend that because I'm still thinking I'm this wretched soul. I'll even sing songs like that just to continue to solidify it. Do you realize that all Christian songs have a message in it? And not every Christian song has the message of life and truth to it? Because if I don't understand my divine identity, that I've been united with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, all of a sudden I'm singing songs about my old nature, and I'm solidifying it because something beautiful about music keeps me solidified in what my belief systems are. So everything I sing can actually contradict truth. And I'm just getting filled. Anything that I read in Scripture now is filtered through a lens of songs that I sing that are coming out of this, you're still a sinner, then you need to be saved by grace. And at the moment you're saved by grace, you still have this sinful nature in you. Then what is the power of the cross? You read Romans 6 and you start finding yourself going, I don't understand. You're telling me that Romans 6 is saying that as he was buried in his, as we are buried with him in baptism, we are raised into newness of life. Yeah, but what about Romans 7? Romans 7 is actually talking about Paul when he was living under the law before Jesus. And you and I have bought into a lie from the enemy that says, well, we still have this sinful nature Oh man, this wretched person that I am. I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. Who can save me from this wretched person that I am? It says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Do you miss that part? The enemy keeps causing you and I to believe that we're a part of his, of, of, of his family. Every time we say that we're a sinner, do you know what we're saying? I got saved from G- or by Jesus, but you're still my daddy, Satan. Romans 8 is saying all of creation is longing for you and I to get who our father is and that the Holy Spirit is evidence that you and I are his are our sons and daughters of God. There's no daughters in here. That you and I are sons and this will rattle us is because this isn't the messages that have been taught. You listen to you listen to Christian teaching on, on the radio and it is like it is contradictory 
to everything that I'm saying right now. But I'm promising you, this is going to be the message that is going to start coming forth in the next 10 years. It's going to be the norm in Christian circles. Why? Because God is doing something. He's actually wanting to restore the body of Christ because the original mandate still needs to take place. It still needs to take place. Yeah, but he's going to burn it up. No, you don't even understand. Again, Satan has actually tried to get you to believe that he wants to scrap this whole thing. Now I'm really messing with somebody. If we read down things out of context, we can apply scripture out of truth. And it can cause us to believe that God really wants to destroy this whole thing. We might as well get out of here. We've got nothing here to actually set our feet on and, and produce legacy for. God is actually wanting to come back for a pure and spotless bride who is able to restore the earth. Not just a few people, not just 144,000 people who get saved. He actually wants to bring the earth back under submission to the one who was created in a little lower than Elohim. If I believe that I was created a little lower than angel, then who has power over me? Who is over me? Who is over me? Angels. And what is the devil? A fallen angel. So who's beating me up? The one that's over me. But if I'm created a little lower than Elohim, and I'm supposed to rule and reign... And take dominion and make everything fall under the subjection of my father. <laughs> then what's underneath me? What about the angels? Exactly. Principalities and powers are a part of the everything. Oh, I, do you feel that? The Holy Spirit is just... This is going to wreck some people's perspectives because they thought that they were subject to the devil and all of his schemes. He says, I, we regard no one according to the flesh any longer. In 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, is it 4, 7? I don't remember what it is. Five. It's Second Corinthians five. He says we regard, regard no one according to the flesh any longer, including Jesus. The moment that you and I got saved, we actually restored back to the original image, and even better, to where we were supposed to rule and reign. The very black matter that covered the earth, that the Holy Spirit was hovering over. Satan, his principalities and powers that were cast down from, from, from hell or from heaven, they have, they have now rested on the earth. And God says, I'm going to create, I'm going to create the earth over this. And I'm going to put man as the very nature of who I am on the earth. And it's going to be a slap in the face to the demonic. He just got us to believe this one lie that we weren't created in the fullness. And at that moment, all of a sudden, we put ourselves under subjection to him. 
But if you and I get redeemed, if you and I say yes to Jesus, that he paid the price and now all of a sudden we're restored back to our original nature, put off the old self with its sinful ways, Colossians 3, and put on the new self. This is so powerful. Do you have that? I, I think I asked for Second Corinthians or Colossians 3. And if you don't have it, it's completely fine. This, this is so beautiful. Colossians 3, it says, uh, you have put off, in verse 10, and you have put off, put on the new self who is being renewed to the truth of the knowledge according to the, what does that say? Image. Of the one who created him. (laughs) Wow. You're saying that when we got redeemed, we actually were restored back to the the nature that Adam was, was called to walk in and to rule and reign on the earth? Man, we're looking at the news and we're seeing all this bad news and we're, we're believing that over, over the truth that, you know, when he set us free, when he called us back to himself, when he caused us to be sons of God, that we actually had power to change atmospheres. All we're doing is we're listening to the lies of the devil that's saying this thing is coming to your town, a town near you. Man, if I could just, if Jesus could just come back, then we could get out of this place and he could burn this place up. That's the way that we think. And that is exactly a lie of the enemy. Because what he's the most afraid of is you and I getting who we are and us starting to call things back into order. If we start understanding who we are, we call things back into order and who becomes subject to us. Exactly. But if we don't know who we are, if we're not created and understand we're created in the aspect of love, all of a sudden, things like our wives and our kids can throw us off and cause us to fall into our old sinful nature Oh, that's just who I am. But God, thank God that Jesus will, will completely set me free when I, when I die and I go to heaven. Really? Then the power of the cross was, was only partial. It was only a partial work. And there's something new that will happen once we get to heaven. Do you realize that logic? It says that you saying yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming on you will only give you a partial work and then when you get to heaven you get the rest of it we bought into this lie but is that when he said it is finished did he actually mean the whole thing was finished or did he mean part of it was finished the whole thing but we've believed this lie that satan has continued to feed us with bits and pieces of scripture taken out of context that we've called truth that have brought death and destruction. It caused us to be handcuffed behind our backs and we can't do anything about it. And we blame it on like, well, some, some of the churches blame it on God. And 
he's going, man, I gave you the nature of myself so that you could restore things back to the purpose that I originally created it for. Okay, I'm going to go back to the woman thing because this is actually, this is what will, this is what will slap the devil in the face. God creates man in his image, right? In his likeness, he creates man. Is Adam made full or is he lacking? I asked you that earlier. Is he made full or is he lacking? So, Adam now, in his fullness, sees all of creation and God says, this isn't good. It's not good for man to be alone. Why does he say that? What we've heard is that woman needs to meet our needs. We have these needs inside of us, right? We've got these innate desires inside of men, like for sexual pleasure, for for whatever it is. And woman becomes the object of our pleasure for self-purpose. But if we were created in love, is there any selfishness in Adam? So our needs getting met, the way that we communicate that way, is that selfish? Totally is. Here's what we've also heard. Because we've got so jacked up in our perspective, we also hear that God created man so that man would worship God. That's pretty selfish if you think about it. If you think about that logic. I mean, if we're going to be actually changing atmospheres, we're going to have to deal with people who have really great logic and they're going to come at us with this doesn't make sense why would i believe this well it's actually a great question if you're going to po- if if we can't have these kind of logical questions and conversations in church how are we ever going to expect to talk to an unbeliever and and bring truth to them you're saying that you're god and we go i don't know i don't know if if we're saying that god created man so that man would worship god That's self-purpose, is it not? It's selfish. So so then what we've done is we've said, because God created man so that, that he would worship us, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. So man, out of out of man, woman was produced so that she would in turn give him all of his pleasures and needs met. And we subjected women and we put them underneath us. For our pleasure. But here's what really happened. It's that the Trinity is experiencing this, this beautiful communion with each other. And they said, love must be demonstrated. It can't be love if there is no demonstration. Love was demonstrated and created Adam. And Adam, the reflection of love... His purpose was to rule and reign just as God, the nature of who he is. And yet he just, he became the target. Adam became the target of God's love. You catching this? Adam wasn't used so that he would point the target at God. (laughs) But Adam became the target of God's love. So all of a sudden, we're created in the image of God, and everything that God is, is what we're supposed to look like. 
And there was no target for man to point his love at. He could not really reflect the nature of God without a target to point his love at. Well, what about God? Again, if it were God, then it would have been selfish. It's not that we can't actually have communion with God, but he would have actually been created man for his own self-pleasure. So, Adam now is created in the very nature and the image of God, and he must have a demonstration of his nature, which is love. And it couldn't be done with any other part of creation. And God says, this isn't good. We must create another like him. And out of himself, just as God created out of himself, Adam, God puts Adam to sleep and creates out of himself the woman to be the target of man's love. The one to be patient and kind. Not self-seeking, not envious, not boastful, all that stuff. Well, what about the woman? Well, he, he answers that by saying, and then you, just like us as a trinity, <laughs> out of us, you two, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You know why homosexuality in the church has been such an issue and we can't figure out how to answer it? It's because we don't know how we were created and the very purpose of our creation. Are you catching this? What happens is, is love demonstrated is causing the enemy to go crazy. And if we can really get that, all of a sudden, things begin to fall in line and subject to the very nature and the image of that which we were created in. God demonstrates his love by giving of himself. We demonstrate our love by giving to our children, our wives. Not for our own pleasure. And all of creation starts going, they got it. The sons and daughters of God Got it. We have been liberated. We were subject to futility because it was all about selfishness. And they got it. They actually returned back to their original nature. They took off the old self. They put on the new self, which is in the image of the one that they were created, Christ. And they got it. That is the most beautiful aspect of the gospel. And now we can actually start going to work. Now we can be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and take dominion over all things. But if I don't understand that I was created in love, that when I was completely, re when, I, when I fell, I had to be restored back to the original nature, but even better, that's, that's the Hebrew word, or the, the Greek word for, for restoration is saying, that which was is restored back to, or it's restored back to that which was, but even better. Now all of a sudden, I start learning my identity. I can no longer partner myself with my old nature. That thing is dead. 
It's gone. The selfishness is gone. Yeah, but I still sin. Yeah, was Adam created without sin? Yes or no? Was he created without sin? Was he capable of sinning? He was capable of sinning, yet was created without sin. Don't attribute your ability to sin as that being your nature. Do you catch that? When you actually fall in line with love, you won't sin. Sin has no dominion over you. You just weren't ever told the truth. That you actually have the ability to not sin. You read 1 John, and it'll mess you up. Wait, you saying that, that, that we don't have to sin any longer, or that we don't sin? Yeah, well, I have scripture to prove that. You know who John was actually talking to? He was talking to people that said that they have never sinned in their lives, that they don't need Jesus. That wasn't the point. John 2, he said, 1 John 2, he says, and if anyone does sin, if, not when, but if, we're still caught up in this issue of sin because we're listening to the enemy, our old father. And we're not getting to work saying, wait a minute, you're no longer over me. I'm over you. I have been seated with God in Christ in heavenly places. All things are subject to me. Your identity is just the platform for you to begin to restore the earth back to its original purpose. Your relationship with your wives, with your kids, is just the beginning of you walking your full calling and destiny. You have been given, you have become partakers. First, uh, First Peter 1.4, you have been partakers in the divine nature. We're not these wretched people. Once we get that, all of a sudden, everything starts to fall in line and make sense. Truth will actually bring life, and it won't bring destruction. Would you do me a favor? Would you just stand? Just remember when I said, it's not, it's, it's not ministry that, that changes your life. It's truth that sets us free. I hope that you're hearing truth, but I'd like for you to just do this. Father... I thank you that you've restored me back to the original purpose that you created me for. It's not out of my own works so that anyone could boast about it. But you've restored me back. You've given me the Holy Spirit that confirms that I'm a son of God. That all of creation has been longing and waiting for me to understand this. And I thank you that you being loved were patient and you were kind. And your kindness actually led me to change my perspective and start seeing truth. And that now, all of a sudden, this truth that I'm struggling to even figure out, this is causing my mind to just be in, in shambles. Like, I don't even understand everything that I heard. Holy Spirit, you're the one that's going to teach me. Because the anointing is the, is the thing that leads me. 
And I asked that every time I read Scripture, I would start to see Scripture in a whole new context. That I'm in Christ, that I've been united with Christ, married with Christ, like a skin graft that's no longer to be ripped away, but I've become a part of the Trinity. I have been partakers in the divine nature. That I am in Christ, no longer to be separated. And whatever might feel like heresy, God, because this, this, this message, it, it can't be that good that, that you would want to be like us. I, I, just, I just ask Holy Spirit that you would start to speak to us. That even Jesus, he, he became like man. He put himself in the place of putting on flesh to be like man. To invite us back in to that very image that we were created in. The very nature and image of God. That we don't become gods. But we are walking as those who have the reflection and the very nature of God on the earth. And that we would start to see that we have been able, we have been given the ability to actually walk out our original mandate of being fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, that Christ in me, that Jesus, you in me, is the hope of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth. And to subdue all things under your submission, Jesus. As I'm in you, I, wanna, I want everything to come under submission to you, Christ. And to take dominion. That all of creation is waiting for the righteous to take dominion again. That creation is actually longing for us to understand our righteousness. And to start to put everything in subjection under humanity that is produced out of love and not selfishness. God, I thank you that you've caused us and changed us to be love. God, I thank you that, you that you've given it to us. And so, Father, whatever needs to be matured in me, let love have its full way and produce in me. Father, I thank you that where I'm not patient, God, you're making me patient. God, wherever I'm quick to, to jump off the handle and to start to, to respond, your new nature in me is that I would be patient. That I am patient. I don't even have to struggle with it. I just begin to believe truth and it sets me free. That I don't need to seek my own way because I'm completely secure in who you are. No one else was able to give to me, therefore no one can steal from me. Because you're the author and you're the perfecter. If I find my full security in you, Father, all of a sudden, there's no need. Chaos can happen all around me. Kids can be spilling milk, and I don't have to lose my cool because I'm completely secure in you. And nothing rattles me. Nothing shakes me. Because love is not shaken. And God, you've created me to be like love. Not to be like love, to manifest love on the earth. That I am kind, Father. And, and Father, where there's, where there's situations around me, if I can believe that your kindness leads people to repentance, Father, that my kindness can actually change the atmosphere and change people. If, it, you, if you can do it, and you've called me to be like you, then my kindness can actually do the same thing. 
it can create an avenue for people to actually experience what they were always called to. It's not the select few of humanity. It's all of humanity is longing for them to understand this gospel, their very purpose on the earth. And it's going to destroy the lives of the enemy. And it's going to cause people to want to come to the Father. It's no longer twisting arms to try and get them away from an angry, vengeful God who wants to destroy sin. But it's starting to see a Father who actually wants to restore us back to who we were always created to be. That we don't have to be envious. That we don't have anything that we're lacking. Envy is all about lacking, Father. Because you've created us without lack when you originally created Adam and we've been restored back to that, but even better, there's nothing we are lacking. Therefore, we don't have to be envious. Wow, how powerful is that, God? We don't have to be boastful. That means, Father, that there's nothing that we have to prove because we've been completely proven in you. Our value is not hidden in in what we do. Or how we perform, but our value is hidden in the, cry, in the cross. So there's no need to be boastful or prideful. To prove ourselves because you've already said what you think about us. That we don't have to seek our own pleasure. Seek our own way. God, because if we're seeking our own way, then, we, then we're not secure in being able to know that you have our back. That you're in us. People can do whatever they want around us and it won't affect us. God, restore hope. I thank you that the church has been preaching about forgiveness. But God, restore this ability to actually trust. Restore the ability for us to believe that love trusts all things. Break down every barrier and start to see how Jesus was capable of giving himself, trusting Judas, and did not try and protect himself from Judas. Did not try and protect himself from Peter by not making a covenant with Peter because he even knew that Peter was going to go and and betray him. That love trusts all things, giving, giving people the opportunity to wrong us and in not changing who we are. And it hopes all things, that believes all things. God, I thank you that love is being created and, and restored and perfected in us. That we're able to have the avenue, the target through which our love is supposed to be pointed at. And it's just going to take care of the work of the enemy. We won't even need to focus on him. God, I thank you for truth, just bringing restoration to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. You can be seated or you can do jumping jacks if you need to. Wow. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> mm. That's what needs to, uh, that, that's something that's just going to have to work into us. And, it, and it, it's going to have to marinate through our personhood.
because that's the thing I've I've had those wrong mindsets for many many years of my life. In fact, I I live a majority of my Christian life with an orphan spirit, and God's been, you know, it's that that's God's been breaking off of me. So I quit thinking and acting like an orphan and start thinking and acting like a son. And so those mindsets have to be broken. And I'm telling you, that was, that, that, that is a call for this hour. We know something's got to change in the, in, in us. You know, we keep waiting for the world to get it, but how can the world get it until we get it? So thank you. That that is a that is a powerful thing because we have got to grip grip the fact that we were created in God's image. And you're not being humble when you beat yourself up. In fact that can kind of be a reverse form of pride. Because your fixation then is still on you and not on him. And I could, I'm one of those introspective kind of people. And much of that is rooted in pride. Which keeps you fixed and joined to your past. So see, hear, hear what God is saying. Because God wants to put you in a in a whole different mindset, a victorious mindset, where you walk as a son, talk as a son, live as a son, and 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 reflect what God has truly created us to be. And I I just thank God that that's powerful. And that's where isn't that where the battle is? Right? I mean, aren't we all as men battling that? How many of you know that your first call as a husband, if you're married here tonight, is to your wife? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. What's the most hard, difficult thing for a man to do? Oh, y'all all looking at me like, no problem here. It is so hard not to move into that old mindset and to really lay your life down for your wife. But the only way we can do that is to take on that mindset, that that belief system. So thank God. I, I don't want to get up here and... I do want to say this. Okay, so um, I want you to relax because how many of you know that we come to church, all of us go to churches and are, you know, we try to get people in and out in reasonable times, you know, and, you know, I'm a, I've, I know when people start going like this, I go, oh, it's time for me to quit. I got a guy that sits in the back here and goes, let my people go, you know, I mean, it's, it's, but we came this weekend. I didn't. I came with the intent to, to, to hear from God and to put away our. Uh, you know, how many of you ever had five minute rice? 
I mean, you know, it's five minute rice is not the way you get, you gotta do rice the old fashioned way. It takes time. How many of you know you, 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 you God, God, God did not create the microwave. Satan created the microwave. God created a crock pot. Because it takes time and it takes just attention and all those things have to melt together. So that's what we're going to do this weekend. You with me? So just check your clocks out, you know, and let's just, let's just settle it in at the table, you know, and, and, and let's do this. I, I, I'm tired of five minute Christians. <laughs> Let's just pull in here where there's much more all this weekend. So uh, tomorrow you're gonna, we're gonna have a full day. There, tomorrow we're gonna have lunch for you. We're providing lunch. If you know you won't have to leave, it's it won't cost you anything. We didn't put a cost on this weekend. I'm gonna say this: those two offering baskets that are by the door. I'm gonna ask you if you would to to help us tonight. Not help me, but what I want to do is bless all the speakers that came this weekend because how many of you know the work, the workman's worthy of his hire? The, I just want to bless them. So whatever we can do there, whatever you feel led to do, just drop it in the offering basket and on your way out tonight and tomorrow it'll be there and then we can bless these guys. None of them said, well, how much does it pay? Not one of them said, you know, what's this in it here for me? Every one of their hearts is here for the right reason, and that blessed me. But I can't, I just can't see us not blessing them. You with me? But I'm not going to do like, I, I, I'm not going to pass an offering basket tonight. I'm just going to let the Lord speak to you, and you do it as you leave tonight. Uh, the shirts that we have are for, for sale. That's all to go to the same reason. And uh, I only had a, I didn't have a lot made. I kind of like them. Did y'all see the shirts? I like them. You should wear one. And uh, it, it's a it's it's a great thing. Iron sharpeneth iron. And I'm looking forward to everything that's going on here this weekend. So when you come in the morning at ten, you know there'll be coffee and some um, you know breakfast bars and fruit here. You can come early and fellowship and. And, and let's let's just spend some time just talking together, connecting together, and then we'll when we break for lunch, we'll have a box lunch for everybody, so you don't have to leave. Now, if you want to leave, we'll we can direct you to some restaurants. We got some good places around here, but it, but if you want to stay, it'll be free to stay and have lunch. And then in the afternoon, you know, we're going to have uh, two speakers in the afternoon. I hope tomorrow to have a, a, a round table where we just give you an opportunity, uh, all of us, just to talk for a minute. Wanna, I want to talk for a minute and, um, and, and get the things that are on your heart. And so I, I'm just looking forward to tomorrow. So we start at 10 tomorrow and then we're going to go until we're finished. Because I told Bishop Johnson, who's last, I said, Bishop, do whatever you feel like doing. I'm certainly not telling that man what to do. 
So it's going to be a great day, though. Bring a bring a friend with you. Call call them tonight or in the morning. Say, hey, go with me. And you know, I, I but this isn't about this. This isn't about we're trying to reach a number, and we purposely um, just prayed toward knowing that God was going to put here who needed to hear this. And I'm sure glad I heard what I've heard tonight. I needed to hear that. I needed that. I needed. I need a change in my, in my mindset, in my belief system. I need to start thinking like, uh, I like I'm in agreement with what God says about me. Amen. Now that battle is going to wage, and so tonight we've got a pastor, who uh, I've just got a connection. Me and him talked. Started talking about men's meetings a long time ago and um, he pastors in Laporte and there's just again another divine connection and the fact that these are young pastors I, I love these young pastors and I'm so thrilled to, to to just to watch what God's doing in their lives and I, I asked him to share with you uh, about along the lines of a you know every one of these messages is about the call, the call to identity. And it, you know if you want to read along and track along in Nehemiah, you know Nehemiah it says was a cupbearer. That wasn't his identity, and he had a change in his identity, and he became a wall builder, and he walked away from his cup. Uh, what kind? Of, I mean. You know, he had a great, he had a cushy job. It's kind of dangerous. I mean, knowing your next drink could be your last. But I mean, it was a, it was a job that a lot of people w- would like, but he wasn't satisfied because his identity was rising up on the inside and he saw the wall and he said, King, the king said, what's, what's, what's up with your sadness? He goes, my people are in in desperate need, and the walls of Jerusalem lie in waste, Nehemiah stepped into his identity. And then he was it was a call to do battle. It was a call to warfare. It was a call to fight. Because anything we do for God is going to involve a fight. If we're going to walk in this identity, you're going to have to learn how to put on the armor of God. It's a call to arms. You with me? That's what we're going to hear tonight from my very good friend, Pastor Mike Johnson from Laporte, Indiana. Welcome him tonight. Amen. That's good to be here. Lights are bright. Amen. Well, you know, it, it's it's fun serving God, isn't it? It is. And, you know, it, it's fun. We're, we're going to have a good time here this week, and I believe that. And, and Kyle, I just want to say that was a word, man. That was a word. And, you know, let, let me say this before I kind of kick into what God's put on my heart. Um, Pastor Mike kind of said, he, he asked me about this, and I it didn't take me long to think about it. I thought, you know what, I, I want to get in there, and I, I want to... Work hand in hand with this brother because he's a great brother, a great pastor. I, you know, sense the wisdom of God in him. So I said, yeah, definitely. I'll be right there. And then 
later on, he sent me the um, itinerary of who's speaking when, and I saw where he put me, and I thought, man, why, why is he putting me after Kyle? I should go before Kyle. I'm like, Kyle, I, you know what? That's a tough act to follow, man. Oh, come on, let's just call it what it is, right? But, you know, when you, you begin to seek God and you ask the Lord, you know, God, where are you taking me? What, what word do you want me to share? What is it you want me to say? And I'm sitting here listening to Kyle, and I don't know if anybody noticed. I was getting kind of antsy. I'm thinking, man, hurry up, because I, what God's put in my heart is going to piggyback exactly on what he, he just talked about, okay? It's going to piggyback exactly. So you, you made a good decision in coming tonight. Let me just say that. You made a good decision to be here. You know, when, when you think about what God has called us to do, it starts with understanding who we are. I, I don't, I'm not going to read you your message, but... It, like I said, it's exactly what God wanted. It starts with understanding who you are. You have to know who you are in Christ. You have to be able to realize that God has called you with a purpose. There's a purpose in your life, and it's not to just merely exist. It's not just to just to get by in life and, and make it to heaven. That's That's not why we're here. You know, God's called us here for a purpose and a reason, and and that purpose, you know, when we look at the story of Nehemiah, he, he went to build a wall, and, you know, you think about that. He didn't just build a wall. There's part of that story that says he, you know, he had his people, every one of the workers that were with him, he had them in one hand a tool to build a wall, and in the other hand a sword because they had to fight. And, and that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about tonight is, is that fight. Because did you know that every one of you are called to be a warrior? You know, when I think about the, the men in church and, and the way that it has developed into in, in the world that we live in, I, I look at that and I, I think that the culture of men in the church has become such that it's, it's given us an identity of being lazy and apathetic. I'm not saying every man is like that because I don't believe that. I, I believe there's always that remnant. But that, that's the culture of men in the church. We sit back and we, we let the women do so much of the busy work, don't we? Like, come on, I'm a pastor and I, I know if I need something done in the church, there's a few ladies. I've just got to mention it to them and then they're going to run. I don't have to do anything else. But too many of the men, I've got to twist their arm. Not all of them. But, but too many men in the church, you, you, we, we have to have our arms twisted to get us to do anything because we become lazy and apathetic, mainly because we don't know who we are in Christ. And, and I, I think that we've all got that straight tonight, right? We've got that straight. We, we know who, what our calling is. We know who we are now. But now we've got to learn how to fight. Why there's this call to arms, there, there's this call to battle, there's a battle cry that every one of us have to answer. So we've got to begin to realize, now that I understand who I am in Christ and what I'm called to do, I need to realize that I've got to rise up to this battle God has called me to. And when I think about that, like I said, I'm going to piggyback on Kyle a little bit here because that was good. When you think about your identity and, and God the Father created us in His image, that tells me he's created us all to be fathers, right? Now, with that said, does that mean if you don't have a child that you're not following God's will? I'm not talking about the natural here. I'm not talking about natural children. I mean, if you've got kids, great, praise God. I mean, I've got a couple little girls. I just love them. I mean, it's great. But that, that's not really what I'm talking about, okay? We're created in the image of God, the Father. Because he wants us to be a father. 
See, the Bible tells us in the book of uh, 10 Corinthians, it says, although you may have 10,000 instructors, you don't have very many fathers. You don't have very many fathers. You see, Paul, I believe Paul was telling the church, there, there's not enough fathers in the church. I don't think he was really saying, you know what, you specifically don't have enough fathers in your life. I, I think he was saying, you know, there's not enough fathers in the church. There's not, not enough men of God in the church that are going to rise up and care about somebody else and not just think about themselves. They're not just going to show up at church and say, okay, what can I get out of this? That preacher better give me something good because I need something today. Well, that worship better touch me just right so I can feel that goosebump. No, I believe Paul is saying there's not enough fathers in the church. There's not enough. Let me say this. How many of you in here are fathers? You got kids. A lot of you. I can't see how many because those lights are bright, man. But let me just use myself. I've got two little girls. Okay, I, I do. I love them, man. They're, oh, I better not start talking about them because I'll just spend the whole time talking about my kids. I love my kids. But my wife and I, we, we've been married. This coming May will be, I've got to think for a minute, 23 years that we've been married. Hey, praise God for that. I, I love that. You know, we've been, we got married when we were real young. Um, I was 21 when I got married. And I'm telling you, we... We poured ourselves into ministry so much to the extent to where we didn't really think about having kids. And then one day, life started happening, and we kind of looked at each other and said, you know what, we're starting to get a little bit up there in age. We better start having some kids if we're going to do that. So I had my kids a little bit later in life. But before we had kids, I'm telling you, we just did what we wanted. I mean, if something was going on, we were there. We were, something was happening at church, we were there. Somebody was going out and just... Going to the movies or going to dinner or just going and hang out. We were there for everything. But when I became a father, I'm going to tell you, Dustin will attest to this because Dustin's been there for it all. This is, this is my right-hand man right there. He, he's been there through it all. All of a sudden, that kind of stopped, didn't it? Dustin didn't like that too much. Until he had kids, and now he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. All that stopped. Not all of it, but the majority of it stopped. Why? Because all of a sudden, I'm a father now. My life's no longer about me. Now, I try to tell people that when I, when I counsel them and they're having problems with their kids. And, and one of the first things I always have to try and tell people is, you know, when you have kids, your life is no longer about you. It's about raising those kids. You, you're not going to get all the stuff you wanted. You're not going to get to do all the stuff you wanted to do. Your, your life is no longer about you. It's about raising those kids to know Jesus Christ and to have everything they need. Let's get back to the scripture now. Paul says, although you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, there's not very many fathers in the church. We need some men of God that are going to rise up and realize we're here to battle. We're here to go to war for this church, for this community, for this region, for our families. We've got to go to war starts with realizing who you are in Christ. Not the old you, not the sin nature you, but, but the real you. You begin to realize who you are in Christ. It changes everything. You begin to realize that you've got that Father anointing coming upon your life. 
What it, what is the anointing? You might be thinking, okay, that's a. Let me just give you my own personal definition. That's God's power coming upon your life, enabling you to do what you cannot do on your own. So there's that Father anointing that comes upon you. And you begin to go to war for your family, for your church, for your community, and for your region. Going to war. What I want to talk about a little bit tonight are, are the specifics of going to war because... One thing I'm passionate about is not just telling somebody to do something, patting them on the back and saying, all right, now get out there and get it done. I can tell you to go to war all day long. And you're, and just like, you know, I've done this in church. I've been in churches before I was a pastor. And I heard a pastor preach something and gets me all fired up and pumped up. And then I leave the church and I get home and beat myself up because then I don't know how to do what he told me to do. So, you see, this is something I'm passionate about. Trying to help people understand what it is that we're supposed to do. We've got to go to war. I can remember one of the first times I heard a preacher say something like that or preach along that means. I would go home and I would just pray. And I can tell you right now, my prayers were pitiful. Oh, they were pitiful. I look back now and I think, man, I used to spend so much time. I can remember... Before I got married, I was, I was still living with my dad, and in my room I had this little chair. That it, it was a, a kitchen chair, and I would just kneel down in front of that chair, and I would pray for hours. And I think back now, some of the prayers I was praying, or more specifically, the way I was praying, and it was so pitiful. I didn't know what I was doing, but nobody taught me that. It, it took me years of learning and, and seeking the scriptures to really understand how to go to war effectively. See, the book of James says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If, if James says that there is an effectual or an effective prayer, then that tells us there must be an, an ineffective type of prayer, right? If, there's, if, if James went to the extent to say the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, then that must mean that he ran into a lot of people who were praying ineffectively. Come on, we've probably all done it one, at one time or another. Oh, Lord, help this pitiful person. God, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. I don't know why bad things always seem to happen to me, but God, if you find it just in your grace, please help me out of this situation. I used to pray like that. That's a pitiful prayer. So we've got to understand how to go to war, how to go to battle. So let me show you. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time here tonight. I, I'm really not. But I, I want to take a little bit of time just to show you. Turn in your Bibles with me. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, the, the first chapter. And I want you to put your finger right there. And then turn over to the book of Psalm, chapter 103. And while you're marking those two spots, let me just kind of give you an idea of what's going on here. You see, when we pray, it's not just enough to to say words, but we've got to pray the word. You know, Kyle was talking about truth. Truth. Truth isn't just quoting some scripture and thinking that it's 
what's needed at that time. It's finding out exactly what God says about you and who he says you are and what's going on and praying that. See, Kyle also talked about angels. I I told you this is just going to fit hand in glove here. The angels aren't hovering over us, dictating our lives. Did you know that? They're not. Let me show you this. Hebrews chapter 1. Just to give you some insight here. This and what we're talking about are angels here, okay? I want you to understand what's going on when you pray effectively. See, I don't... I don't know about any of you, but let me just explain to you how my mind works. And maybe your mind works the same way. For, for years and years, I, I worked as a mechanic for a lot of years. So my mind works in a mechanical type of way. If I can understand how something works, I can understand how to flow in it a little bit better. Or I can understand how to deal with something a little bit better. So my mind works that way. So I'm just going to kind of preach to you that way today. We've got to understand how things work. What's going on when you pray? So here in Hebrews chapter 1, we're talking about the angels here. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? It's talking about the angels. This is their purpose. This is what they're here for. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Let me ask you this. Who inherits salvation? Yell it out if you know. We do. Does your dog inherit salvation? I know that's up for debate, but I'm just going to say no. Do the cows, the horses. Now, if you're a horse lover, don't write me a nasty note later. No, we inherit salvation. That's us. The prime of God's creation. That's us. We are the ones. So the angels, they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. This is what they're called to do. This is the job of the angels in heaven. Now flip over, if you've got it marked, to Psalm chapter 103. Let's look at verse number 20, because here we're talking about the angels again. Remember, we want to understand the truth. The angels. Psalm 103, 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. This is the angels. They excel in strength. They do his word. They heed the voice of his word. Now, what I want to point out to you here is what it doesn't say is they heed God's voice. I hope you see where this is going already. It does not say they heed God's voice. Although they do. We know they do. But the scripture is written for our benefit and and for, for us, right? But it says they heed the voice of his word. Now let's think about that a moment. The Bible also tells us, we, we read in the scripture, that, that his word will not return to him void, but it will accomplish that for which it is sent. We know that. 
We're talking about praying the word. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man is that righteous man who's praying the word, not praying his own desires, not praying his, uh, what, how he sees his situation and praying that. But despite how you see your situation, and despite how your desires are rising up inside of you, you go to the word of God and you pray the word. Why? Because when you begin to pray the word, the angels in heaven who excel in strength, they do his word. They're going to heed the voice of your word. Why? Because they're ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. That's you. Let's think about this in the big picture. Ephesians 6, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It doesn't say we don't wrestle. I mean, we're in a battle, right? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of this darkness, of the darkness of this age spiritual host of weakness. We are in a battle. How do you fight that battle? By showing up at church every Sunday and Wednesday for Bible study? No. It's not going to happen like that. You're going to be miserable if that's your mindset. Mindsets are a powerful thing. Let me tell you a story of a mindset. I I didn't really grow up in church. I went to church when I was a real little kid. And unfortunately, my parents, they got divorced when I was a little kid. And it it destroyed my family, spiritually speaking. It it drug us out of church. And I I didn't actually start going back to church until uh, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, started dragging me into church. Okay, she was missionary date. And I know that's never a good thing. It's horrible. I preach against it, yet that's why I'm standing here today, okay? But I can remember before, right before, right as we started dating, we were working at a pizza place together, and she asked me one day, we were the only two in there, and she looks over at me and she says, hey, Mike, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. She says, are you a Christian? So I had to think about this. That's probably the first red flag. I started thinking, you know, I'm probably 17, 18 years old at the time, and I started thinking, I thought, hmm. And here's, where, here's some of the thoughts that were running through my mind. I thought, well, you know, my grandma is probably the greatest Christian I've ever known to this day. And that's the truth. Man, woman of God, love God, never saw her get angry once in church all the time. Just, I mean, a prayer warrior, praying grandma. Anybody have a praying grandma? I, I had one of those, man. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got grandma on my side. All right. I went to church when I was a kid. I remember that. So I looked up at, at my wife. Her name's Gina. I looked up at Gina and I said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Man, she fired back so quick. She said, no, you're not. You're not living it. You don't act like it. You're not a Christian. I said, oh, okay. Well, maybe I guess I'm not. I don't know. I don't know what I am. But you see, the mindset that I had was, well, I went to church as a kid. My grandma was a praying grandma. I've got to be a Christian. I'm born into it. Mindsets are a powerful thing. And the mindset on prayer, the mindset on battling in the spirit, is something that the enemy will fight tirelessly to deceive you into thinking anything but the truth of who you are and what you're called to do and how you can accomplish that goal. We're men. I mean, we're bred for battle, aren't we? That's just, that's just how we operate. That's how our minds think. That's, that's what God has done inside of us. But it, not a physical battle. That's, 
Spiritual battle. And I truly believe with everything inside of me that that one of the major reasons so many men shy away from spiritual battle and from church in general is because they don't understand how to fight. I mean, come on, no man wants to feel ashamed. No man wants to feel belittled. Nobody likes that. I don't like that. But if we can understand how to fight, how to go to war, it's going to change everything. It's going to change your life. Why? Because bondages are going to be broken. There are bondages in your life that have been there for so long, you've accepted them as truth in your life. But then you're going to figure out how to fight, and you're going to rise up and say, wait wait a second, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this addiction to pornography. I I, I don't want this addiction to drugs anymore. I I don't want the desire to drink. I I don't want any of this stuff anymore. I, I want to fight this because now I realize I can take the word of God He who the sun sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And you begin to speak that out over your life. Why? It's not some magical phrase, but it's the truth of God's word that begins to go forth. And as you speak the truth of God's word over your own life, the angels in heaven who are ministering spirits sent forth to minister on your behalf. They heed the voice of God's word and they do his word because they excel in strength. They are going to begin to fight that battle in the spirit realm as you continue to feed them their orders. Why? Because we're made a little lower than Elohim, not a little lower than the angels. Okay? This is what we're called to do. You're not going to be the same after tonight, are you? So you see, now I believe it's time for the church, the men of the church to rise up and be who we're called to be. I believe it's time that we rise up and take our rightful place in the church, not sitting on the back row, letting the women run everything. Praise God for the women. I'm thankful for the women that they'll rise up and do what needs to be done, even though we won't do it. But it's time we rise up and we begin to, to lead those prayer meetings. It's time we rise up in our family and begin to pray together with our family. And not just pray some pitiful, ineffective prayer, but begin to get into the word of God because it's truth. Because it's truth. And speak that out over your family. I'm telling you what, I've done that for my girls. They're going to be eight and six here in just a couple weeks. Since the day they were born, I've been prophesying into their life. Maybe you're saying, what do you mean prophesying? I've been speaking the word of God into the life, even though I don't see it manifesting just yet. Because I believe the word of God is more true than anything else I can see with my natural eye. Don't go by what you see. Go by what you know so you get into the word of God. There's another issue there. We, we don't. We get lazy and apathetic in our walk with the Lord, so we don't want to get into the word. But you see, now that you're beginning to see, that's my ammunition. If I can just understand who God says I am and what he says about me, I can begin to go to battle and prayer and proclaim that over my life and see bondages broken. Let me tell you, this works. 
See, I, I come from a background that, that that isn't pretty. I got into drugs real bad in, in high school. I did. I, I, I've been arrested multiple times, believe it or not. I can remember not too long after I gave my heart to Christ, I can remember being in church and a lady in church, uh, somebody stole her purse. So she had to go down to the police station and look through mug shots. She came back to church and she said, Mike, you're not going to believe this. I saw your picture in there. I just had to do one of these. I said, oh, man. I, said, I had to tell her, I said, that wasn't me. That person died. He's gone. That's not me. But you see, I came from that. And, and I said all that to say this. I was addicted to drugs. I, I was. I, I was. I wasn't just doing drugs. I was selling drugs. Okay. I was selling them pretty bad. I mean, I, I've been arrested for it more than once. But I never once went to AA. I never went through withdrawals. I quit cold turkey. I just quit. I said, you know what? Enough's enough. This isn't the, I can remember the very last time I did any of that stuff. I was sitting in a room. I was, I think I was 17 years old at the time, 16 or 17 years, I was 17. And I was sitting in a room with a bunch of guys that were like 35 years old. And we were all smoking pot and drinking and just doing all kinds of stuff we shouldn't have been doing. And I can remember sitting there with a beer in my hand as they're passing stuff around. And I'm looking at these guys and here's a thought turning through my mind. Man, when I get the rage, I sure don't want to be like that. So there came a point in time, I got arrested one last time, and I said, enough's enough. That's not who I am. See, because in the midst of that, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, she had no idea I was doing any of that. I, I was a good liar. Oh, I was a great liar. She was dragging me to church on a regular basis. So I was getting some word in me. And I remember there was this one sermon that changed my life forever. I don't know the day. I don't know what it was. But I remember the preacher saying. Or he was preaching on the topic of knowing Christ. And how you can have a personal relationship with him. And you can talk to him. And you can hear him speak to you. And you can have this relationship with God that is so deep and intimate that it will define who you are. And I remember sitting there. I got home in my apartment. I was living on my own at the time. And I got home in my apartment. And I looked up. I just looked up because I thought, well, God's up there. So I'm going to look up. And I looked up and I said, God, if what that preacher said is true, I want that's what I want. I don't want some religion. I want to know you. So you see, the mindset began to change. But what I'm saying is, once I learned how to battle in the Spirit, once I learned who I was in Christ, the chains of bondage were broken. Maybe you're battling something right now. Maybe your family is struggling with something right now. Maybe there's something going on in your community that you're concerned about. Let's begin to go to war. Let's not just sit back and wait for some government-funded government, government funded program to come along that's going to save the day because it's not going to work. If Christ isn't in it, it's only temporary. It's just a temporary fix if Christ isn't in it. So let's go to war. Why? Because we're men of God. 
We're men of God that are called with a purpose, have the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon our lives, and we have His Word, which is truth. Let's begin to speak it out. Because we know who we are now. I love that, man. That was good. I hope somebody taped that. Did you tape that tonight? I don't even... Oh, man. Yes. I'm right. We've got it. So we know who we are now. We understand what our purpose is. And now we know how to fight. We we know how to go to battle. We speak the word. See, if something in you is, is not jiving with the word of God, then you've got to change your thought. You've got to change your mentality on it. That's, that, that's what Paul was talking about when he wrote to the church in Rome. And he said, you know, be renewed. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You, you've got to change the way you think about life, change the way you think about who you are. And that's how you're going to be transformed into the image of Christ. Because you change the way you think and you begin, begin to proclaim out of your lips the truth of what God says about you, even though you don't feel it, even though you don't see it. You prophesy the truth of the word over your family, your life, your church, your community, your region, this country this is why we're here you see when i met with with pastor mike the other day and we just got to talking and we spent about three hours talking and i don't think that was the intent was it the intent was maybe an hour went on to like three hours just talking and talking about this 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 men's conference has to be more than just a meeting You need to leave this conference tomorrow afternoon with more than a goosebump that says, that was nice, and I made a couple new friends. Praise God. If that's what's accomplished, we failed. But if you can leave this place with a new identity, a fresh understanding of how to go to war, then whatever else we're going to get tomorrow. I'm excited about that. But if you can leave with that and then begin to spread it like wildfire. I pray you go home to your families and your wives. If you're married, you go home to your, to your wives and they say, what is with you? You're, you're not the same. What, you're wanting to pray? You're wanting to lead the prayer tonight? Honey, are you sure? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You go home and you begin to lay your hands on on your children and just speak life into them. Come on, this is what we're here to do. Remember, we're made in the image of God. Right? That's what we're taught tonight. We're created in the image of God. He's God our Father. And Paul was saying to the church, we've got a lot of instructors, but they're not enough fathers. Where's the fathers? Where are the ones who are not going to be so concerned with themselves They're secure enough in themselves that they're going to begin to call those things that be not as though they are, is what we're told in the Word, right? Just like God did. Come on, we're not gods. I'm not saying we're gods, but we're created in in His image with the power of His Spirit living in us. So just as God hovered over the waters of the earth and began to proclaim what was not there and it came to pass, 
He has told us, you be fathers in this world. And here I've given you what to proclaim. I've told you what you can say. Believe it. And proclaim it over your life. I don't care if you're bound into drugs. I don't care if you're, you're bound into pornography. I don't care what's going on in your life. I mean, I do care, but what I'm saying is that doesn't matter as much as what the word matters. Because Jesus said, you shall know the truth. and The truth will make you free. You're not going to be free just by reading what the Bible says, but the freedom will come as you begin to believe it and you begin to proclaim it over your life. See, there's something in the proclamation of it. I'm going to wrap this up here in just a minute, but there's something about the proclamation. You know, the Bible tells us that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. It doesn't say if you believe in your heart and you confess inside your head. You've got to proclaim it out of, out of your mouth, don't you? You've got to pro- proclaim the truth. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sin. I believe you shed your blood for me. Come on, that's true, right? I believe you were born of the virgin. I believe you rose from the dead in three days and you ascended to heaven and one day you're coming back for me. I believe that with all of my heart. If you can't confess that, then we have to question whether we truly believe it. So there's a confession that needs to be made with your salvation. How can your walk with God be any different? Confess the word. Speak it over your life. Speak it over your family. Speak it over your church. Speak it over your community and your region and your country and this world. That's how your pastor said something to me. Pastor Mike said something to me on Wednesday. He didn't really say it to me. He was just, I'm going to be honest. He was rambling on a little bit in a good way, okay? But no, really, on a serious note, he was just sharing what God was stirring in his heart and and I, I was soaking it in. And he, he made one statement that just really kind of and it did something in me. He said, God spoke to him one day and said, uh, you just need to ask for the nations. In a real way. Come on. I mean, in a real way. Ask for the nations. Why? Because if it's not bigger than you, it's not God. Amen. I mean, I'm not going to say, God, I just wish I could have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I can go home and make that. I don't need to pray and ask God for that. I'll go home and make one. But he, he, he said that. Now, I probably don't even remember saying that. He just kind of said it on Wednesday. He said, you know, God told me just ask for the nations. So I've been asking for the nations. And, man, I've been thinking about that every day since he said that. And I thought, I'm not asking for the nations. I'm asking for people in my church to get with it. If you're a pastor here, you know what I'm talking about. I'm saying, God, you know, stir a fire in some of these. I mean, we got some great people. I got some great men that I only had to ask them once, and they showed up here. Praise God. But, you know, there, there's some people you just, God, just light a fire under them. Get them moving. And I'm going to start asking for the nations. Because God can do that. Uh, why, why did I say that? Don't look at your family. Don't look at your life situation, your family situations or anything as something that's unobtainable because God can do it. 
God wants your family free from bondage. He wants you free from bondage. Because you see, when you're free, you can do so much more. Let me just explain this one. When you're bound, you're not looking at anything else except the bondage because you want to be free. You're not thinking about that brother sitting two aisles over from you that maybe needs prayer and the Lord's been working on you to go and pray with that brother, but your focus is just on the bondage because it's got you. God, I can't get past this. God, I just wish I was free. I don't know what to do to be free. And God's all along saying, I told you what to do. Speak to it. Speak to that mountain. Command it to move from here to there and it's going to go. Speak the word. Are you ready to go to war? Come on, are you are you ready to go to war? Come on, a couple of you are, but some of you are still thinking about it. Are you ready to go to war? Come on, that's right. That means we got to pray. It's time for the church to be a, a praying church. It's time for the the groups of men within the church to lead those prayer meetings, to be the ones that are that are up in front of the church, taking a hold of the horns of the altar and praying, speaking the word of God. I believe with everything inside of me that when the men of God, the men in the church get a hold of this, it's going to change everything. It's going to change the culture of church. From being something that just gets by. To all of a sudden we're going to realize when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're all of a sudden going to begin to see that in real time. Amen. Close it out right here, brother. Go ahead, Brad. Watch this. Hallelujah. Winners from wannabes. Diligence makes the difference between all-time greats and one-hit wonders. The race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but to the one who endures to the end. So pick yourself up, shake your past off, put one foot in front of the other, do it again. When you hear that little voice saying no one believes in you, you're too far behind, you're too small, this isn't working and this isn't worth it, another voice rises to remind you that the same power, the same strength, the same spirit that raised the Savior from a borrowed grave is alive and active in you. This is your guarantee of complete victory. The same God who delivered you from the lion and the bear can and will deliver this new giant into your hands. So draw the line. Take your stand. Just like you wielded your weapons last time, do it again. You've been here before. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And if he caused you to triumph back then, be confident. He'll do it again. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. And in his name, you are unstoppable. He's the author and finisher of your future and your faith. All things are started and sustained by his grace. He has never failed, 
never faltered, never wavered, never lost, and he's not about to start. But receiving this promise requires perseverance. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many begin, few are finished. So don't just do it, do it again. I know sometimes it's hard to keep it moving when you can't see your progress, when you've lost your perspective, when the pain has pushed you past your breaking point. But this is no time to tap out. This is no time to back down. This is no time to turn around because the end of yourself is the beginning of him. The end of your strength is the beginning of his. So fix your focus, wake your courage, stir your confidence and do it again. The dream God put inside of you is free, but to see it come to pass, you'll have a price to pay. Set your face like flint with determination and declare, I will do it again. When it doesn't make sense, I'll do it again. When I have to go against the wind, I'll do it again. When all hell is breaking loose, I will not be crippled by confusion. I will not sway to the cadence of complacency. When it feels like hope has disappeared from the horizon, and I've waited for rain, but I don't see any signs, I will look again, lifting my eyes to the skies. I see a cloud the size of a man's hand starting to expand and it may start small but little is much when God is in it and I know I'll win if I just don't quit don't you dare quit when you march six laps and still the walls won't fall take another lap you're closer than you think you are you're closer than you've ever been before walk on you've come too far to faint he who spoke it is faithful to fulfill it. Show up today and the next day and the next day and the next day. Press till something happens. Pray till something changes. Push till something breaks. Stay within yourself. Whatever it takes, whatever the cost, no matter what they say, no matter what I feel, I've got a job to do and I will see this through until God's kingdom comes and his will is done in my life. I'm leaving every excuse behind. I'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm taking up my cross and following the one who never stopped short, who never surrendered, who said he'd never leave me or forsake me. Jesus is with me always. He came and conquered. He died and rose again. And now he's calling me, causing me, commanding me to breathe again, hope again, trust again, give again, change again, expect again, rejoice again, fight again, rise again, right here, right now, in the name of Jesus, I will live again. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. So, wow. 
do it again. We are going to do it again. God is doing it again. I'm going to ask Pastor Kyle, Pastor Ed, Pastor Mike, come on up here with me. Pastor Anthony, how are you doing, buddy? Come on in here. Come on up here. Did you just sneak in? Where's I? Oh, there's Mike over there. Come on up here, Mike. Pastor Mike, look at this. Did I miss anybody? Any other pastors here? What a great group of guys. This Pastor Mike, Pastor Anthony, thank you guys for being here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if angels are on assignment and sent to minister or serve, is the translation that I had, the heirs of salvation, by us praying dangerous prayers, stepping out in a sort of reckless kind of faith that just believes God can do the impossible, then if if we do not make that step, those angels are essentially unemployed. And while Mike was sharing, I kept thinking about these angels just sitting around heaven like, wish they'd get to it, we're bored. And so that, and, and uh, you know, and that kind of praying that needs to take place, this is what, this is what you're here for, to call to the wall. The wall is the the wall is the place of of standing in the gap. And the gap is the difference between the way things are and the way things God intends them to be. So anywhere there's a difference between the way things are and the way God intends it to be is a gap. And here's what God says. I saw it. For a man among them who would stand in the gap. And when you stand in the gap, you're not there to go, oh God, I don't know what's going to happen. And God, I'm not sure. You know, and go, God, please help us. You're there to bring the word of the Lord. Like he took Ezekiel and said, what do you see? And he was scared to death. Because he figures if I answer wrong, I'm going to be a part of this valley of dry bones. And he, he said, he, he, he looked at it and he asked him, he, he said, what do you see? So what do you see tonight? What do you see? And I'm going to tell you what I, I see and I'm going to give these guys an opportunity. And there's no pressure here because this is not a... So while we were there, here's what I saw. I saw some men sitting in this room who, like Abraham, you have been hiding in your tent because you've been discouraged. Abraham in Genesis 15 was hiding in his tent and complaining to God because he had no heir. And he he had not seen, he had waited he had waited patiently, 
but yet it had not happened. And in hiding in his tent, listen to me, hiding in his tent, God came to him and said, Abraham, step outside. And it says, Abraham got up and walked out of his tent. And God said, look up and I want you to see something. And he saw the stars and he said, you see that? That is my promise to you because Eleazar is not your heir. Whatever you thought was the thing that you're strapped with, God says, no, no, no. He says, I want you to look up because the stars and in the, in the dreaming of the ability to see what God is doing, God is telling you, come out of your tent, get out of your despair, get out of your disbelief, look up because God's fulfillment is right in front of your eyes. Some of you have been so frustrated because it seems like it's been so long, but it's tonight is your night. So I want you to stand with me as I, I pray for you. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I just feel like I, I need to pray this over you. And then I'm going to give these men an opportunity to speak into your life and over your life as well. Because this is what I believe we were brought here for this weekend. Again, not just these messages tonight were powerful. But there's an impartation that comes along with that tonight that is going to change your life. And so, Father, I pray against the spirit of depression and discouragement that has had men hiding in their tent when you have called them to step out into the wonders and the world of of your unlimited grace and favor. And while they've been hiding and their head dropped in the tent and complaining because they have not seen the fulfillment, tonight you've called them to step out, look up and see who they really are and see the promise for what it is and see the the God who has stood behind that promise. And tonight we call that thing that is not as though it is in the name of Jesus. And we speak to those things as, 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 the, as they, you have called us to speak to them and say, it is so. Yes and amen. Do it again, God, in these men's lives. Do it again in me, Lord. Put that passion and that fire in our soul tonight. That will cause us to step out and become, Lord God, those who will employ heaven. To pray dangerous prayers. Believe you for the impossible. And stand in the gap, the difference between what is and what's supposed to be. And cry out to you, God, until we see transformation.